to the World of the Spirit podcast. My name is Elizabeth Young. And I'm Kate Chapman. Join us each week as we share our lives to show you and remind ourselves how spiritual principles can solve all our problems. Hello, Kate. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm doing well. Gotten to spend really lovely time with some of my favorite people one-on-one. How mm-hmm. about you? So far, so good. Um, it's a nice, quiet Sunday with some of my favorite people. <laughs> so we're going to talk about something that is in one of Joel Goldsmith's books, A Parenthesis in Eternity. And I'll read a little bit, and then we can go from there. So this is on page 76. Everything that appears in our life must first be a part of our consciousness. Instead of living a material life in and of things, we live a spiritual life in and of cause. And then the things appear in our experience as added things. And by that time, we no longer hate, fear, or love them. We merely enjoy them as they come and go, but no longer have an attachment to them. There is no way to break undue attachment except through dwelling constantly in the fact that there is an invisible cause or source of all that appears. And what is that invisible but consciousness? And whose consciousness but ours, since it is our consciousness that is dwelling to us, that is drawing to us our experience. When we realize God as the substance and fabric of our consciousness, we then begin to draw forth from it only good. But if we draw from human consciousness, there is always the possibility of drawing good or evil. Consciousness is the essence and the substance of all that is. This, however, would be as meaningless as saying that God is the substance of all form or that God is the essence of our being, unless we understand that we are talking about individual consciousness, not a consciousness, nor the consciousness, but our consciousness. And I'm going to stop there because that there's so much there, but I, this part where he talks about drawing on human consciousness we have the potential for good and evil. But drawing on this God consciousness, also known as source, beingness, oneness, the infinite possibility of all that is, that there's only good. What do you think about that? (laughs) So I hear it in a few different ways. The the part of my mind that is prejudiced or that hooks into, um, well, that's just too easy. 
there's lots of bad stuff in the world wants wants to play with that and wrestle with that and argue with that then the part of mind that is experienced in lots of ex- of things in life that were quote unquote bad or hard or painful that occurred and experiencing and living into and through the quote unquote good that came of it or was made of it or something positive is just a fact of my experience. It continues to be a fact of my experience. And then there's a part of mind too that really, really also has practiced in not the hard times and not the good times, but in mostly all the times, a principle I was taught early, early on in recovery, which is what you think about gets bigger. So if you think about bad stuff all the time, you are going to feel like you're surrounded by bad stuff. If you think about fear all the time, your fear is going to grow. If you think about what can I bring to this situation? What can I give? um, Look at how beautiful the sky is. Look at how beautiful um, the walk from 60th to 42nd is. Then that's what I see. And I think we know that from, from science, what you focus on grows. And so those were, those were the three things I kind of got from it. And so one, the last one I talked about was a practice. The second to last one I talked about is my experience with tragedy. And the first one is the, the part of wanting mind that likes to fight and dispute and win. Yeah. And, and that first part is you're going into your mind. You're going into human consciousness, right? So there's going to be good and bad. That's our experience as human beings. And so this world of the spirit, this other world that spiritual leaders, teachers, books have continue to tell us is real and present and accessible. I think your third point really made a practical entry point. The third point of what I focus on grows. Like I can, I can hear that. I can understand that. And really where does our conception of faith even come from? It comes from, at least for me, my experience. And then I get to a place where that's a starting point for my faith to grow. And so a practice is like a bridge that leads me from here to there, from one point to another point. And so this practice of focusing on what I focus on grows and really seeing that manifest in my life, then my belief in that is like, oh yeah, I have actual experience with that. And Not only do I have experience with it, but that motivates me to want to change it, right? Because it's like that power of choice. You know, we're not responsible for our first thought, but we are responsible for our second thought. (laughs) And so we have that power of pause, that space. It motivates me. It makes me want to make a different choice to (laughs) <laughs> it empowers us to be able to turn 
and do something different. Sorry, I just had this image of like, we need to have a disclaimer (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What is it? The disclaimer is right as you and I were getting on to record this podcast, I, as I've said before on the podcast, I record in a guest bedroom where I have a desk and there's a guest bathroom there. I go into the guest bathroom and I see that my dog has pooped on my white rug in the guest bathroom. So disclaimer is we are not we are not saying that once you become spiritual, your dog will no longer SHIT on your white rug. That is not what we are saying. And now I need to know the rules for if we have to check the explicit box on the on the website i don't know but i think it's it's sort of like how how do i want to be in a world of that's the thing that becomes the thing of my day mm-hmm. is my my dog chat on my white rug mm, i really don't mm-hmm. i i want to cultivate you know what i really i could have walked her a couple more minutes this morning Mm-hmm. And oh, I'm so glad she had a place to go to the bathroom and she's not in pain. <laughs> yeah. But um no, I I always feel this need to almost be defensive against like r- rationalism of we're not saying that if you meditate and you live in God consciousness, things aren't going to happen. Mm. Mhm. But the reaction changes. And the the attitude of what kind of the way that I am in the world about it, I was telling you I had breakfast with a dear friend of ours, and we had a very spiritual conversation about talking about what's actually going on in our lives with our family members and the Mm -hmm. practices we're using to be conscious and deliberate about our responses to life. And as we're getting up from the table, we've thrown away our breakfast tacos. She says, oh, and you know that lightning struck right by my house, right? And I'm like, I know. How is that going? She's like, oh, you know. (laughs) And that's an example, right? This attitude of things are happening in the world. My job is where am I with my consciousness? Yeah funny you should bring that up because that's another line that he says a little further down right um and i don't know where it is right now but it was it was that like my responsibility is my consciousness my own garden i've heard that analogy before right i tend to my garden tend to my soul my inner life that's my priority that's my responsibility moment to moment so i have and a thing about this, which is one thing I've discovered about myself in my in my work life is I work in an area that, as you know, I come into contact and work intimately with people who have suffered extreme forms of brutality and violence and working with them and that information and then making it into a form that can help improve their lives. And what I discover is every single time I have to go over and think about and organize 
horrible, horrible, awful things that happen to people, a funny thing happens, which is as soon as they come into my office or we get on a Zoom call, there's this lightness. It's almost as if there is a God that is there with us and allows that to have been the past and what happened, but their joy and gratitude at having survived, mm -hmm. their humility at being in a world where they have a team of people who are available to provide support and resources. It's my mind that really, really wants to focus on, but how can such awful things happen to people? Mm -hmm. But when I am in consciousness and I, my being is with their being, it's completely different. Mm. And so what do I want to focus on? The part of mind that gets into the darkness and does business with the darkness or the part of consciousness that is so much bigger than what happened to them because they are so much more mm -hmm. than what happened to them. Yes. And that yeah. really, really was hard for me for so many years as you, you know, you and I, I think both have stories that when our lives really started to shift and, and the new awakening took hold the hardest part was being asked to let go or just see differently the things that had happened to me. And then at a certain point on the path, they became introduced to me as these weren't things that happened to you. These were things that happened. And sometimes I can gauge how God-reliant I am or how much in personal mind I'm in, how that feels in my body to sit with, mm. oh, this is just a thing that's happening. Oh, that person's just driving. He's not driving that way toward me. Mm -hmm. He's driving. He went out to take his kid to school and forgot to use the blinker because a goldfish fell, you know, in the floorboard. He's mm -hmm. just a dad with crackers all over his floorboard. That's why I didn't use a blinker. He's not trying to screw me. <laughs> oh gosh i hope that made sense but i just really thought of that it came together listening to you because when i read joel goldsmith and he talks about good and evil i'm trying to make it square with with my experience in in that aspect of my life and now it makes sense it did make sense. It was a beautiful example of not taking things personally, right? The laws, the spiritual laws, the laws of the universe, the laws of life are the laws of life. They're not doing it to me or at me or for me. It is me. And so that's what you just described, this loosening of taking taking it personal, right? Taking this personal he cut me off versus it's a dad that's just trying to pick up the crackers that just fell all over because the toddler, I mean, 
this is where we have compassion and empathy arise and and also connection because i can i can i can relate to that right i can relate to being distracted and pulling in front of someone and going oh oh my god so sorry you know or not even being aware that i've done it and just keep on going and being in, in involved with what's going on in my own personal dilemma in the car not being aware of the larger picture and that's really a great example of like the personal bubble right if we picture our little cars we're all driving around buzzing around in our little cars in our personal bubbles and so i think that part where he says human consciousness versus god consciousness it's like am i living in my little human bubble or am i one in harmony with the flow and in this example am i how am i driving Am I aware of my surroundings? Am I eyes forward on the road? You know, what, am I in the flow? Am, am I in the harmony of life or not? And that's pretty easy to see. I mean, people are either honking or throwing you the bird or, you know, that you're getting disturbance from the outside. And that's what I love. Like I, anytime I'm disturbed, anytime I'm annoyed, anytime I'm irritated, it's because I'm out of harmony. And that's where there's, that's where I'm responsible versus going into the mind like you just described and trying to figure out right and wrong, good and bad. These, these polar opposites, these dualities that it only exist in the human consciousness, right? I mean, Joel says that one of his basic principles is there's one power. There's only one. And Chuck C. from in his book, A New Pair of Glasses, says the same thing. I, he, he says, I have a hard time, you know, believing in judgment or two when there's only the, the one, the infinite one. Well, and here's another thing that I just realized. For years of doing my job, when a client would express gratitude, it was up here and I couldn't feel it in me. I never, I, I went years without really having access to, to the heart. So my work was coming from a head place. It wasn't coming from a, a spirit place, even though I believed in what I was doing. And I believed that I'd been guided by the one power to be useful in this particular way, whether that's true or not, you know, whatever. What I realized just listening to you was there may be a connection between being not present enough with clients who express gratitude for my service and being attached and focused on the human evil. Does that make sense? Mm. Tell me more about that. So like I'm, if I'm sitting with somebody and we're working on their statement about what happened to them, and I can, I can feel it affecting me. So we probably need to take a break, get some water, come back in another time. And I, I leave that meeting feeling oh, like it's all over me. I've got to go for a run. I've got to take a shower. I've got to do something that doesn't have to do with, with violence or trauma. And the client thanks me for my time. Ah, uh, yeah. 
I had a call like this um, last week with some clients who they thanked me on the call. They were smiling the entire call. And then I got an email from them saying, and, and they are Christians. The, he is a pastor. Um, they fled from uh, their country in 2012 and have been waiting a long time with two of their children who are now teenagers. And we're getting ready to do some work for for them. Um, lovely people. And they said, we are just so grateful. And I felt it. And I think that is because of the years of practice that you and I've been doing that has opened up the access within me of the heart space Mm -hmm. of being able, yes, we can write the things we can do the documents. We can talk about the facts of what happened, but again, like that's not who we are. It's a necessary part of this particular process. Yes. I didn't have the ability to differentiate bad things happening and the world being bad Mm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, and you said we practicing, but you can't experience that unless you're practicing it. So you've been practicing, you know, you have been doing the practices. And so the heart opening, right? The heart opening not living. And you also talked about living from the personal mind. When I'm living from the personal mind, I I got this image of it's from here. I'm in my head. I'm in my head. And when I'm in a higher, not higher, I want to say this God consciousness or spirit or soul. I love, um, recently I heard someone say, you know, when I use the word consciousness, here's what I mean. And he said, spirit, soul, infinite intelligence. There are a variety of words for this oneness. And so when, when we're living from oneness, we're living through the heart connection. So you can feel your client's gratitude versus the mind cutting off the connection, the literally cutting us off from the infinite connection, the oneness that we are. And it's, well, how could they be? You know, it's all focused on the negative, the negative, negative, but getting out of the mind and living in the heart. And that's how we do it through these practices that we share on this podcast, right? Meditation, mantra, all different kinds of things. How do I get out of my head and into my heart? And that's what you just described in in that experience. So beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, and not everyone experiences the same extremes, but when things are happening to us in our lives, as we've talked about on the podcast before, it really does feel like it feels personal. This is happening to me. You know, my mother was killed in a car accident. And yet it doesn't convey the depth of sorrow and grief and pain or the implications. So we know that anybody who could be listening to this, no one is coming to a podcast without their own experiences of pain that can somehow cannot be overcome and is seeking. And the, the promise that has come true for me is I am 
as I work on the consciousness with myself, I am able to experience life differently and use different parts of me to endure than were available before. And those are some of the tools that, you know, what do we want when we feel pain? We want the pain to stop. And if we could figure out how to do that, or we could figure out how to live with no pain, yeah, that'd be great. But instead, what's that Rumi quote? I was clever, so I was going to change the world. Now I'm wise. I am changing myself. Mm-hmm. And and I see it a little, my experience is more that I'm not gaining anything, but I'm surrendering the parts of myself that oh, are tripping me up. I was so, and can still be, you know, the evolution of seeing the parts of myself that I was so invested in keeping for whatever reason, you know, they worked when I was young. This goes into more of a psycho- psychological type thing, but there are certain things that we develop that we just habits and we keep them. And so they, they no longer serve. They really just ha- end up keeping, keeping me imprisoned in this isolation, disconnected from others, because it's like we've talked about before beliefs and how beliefs separate us. Right. And so my concepts that I'm seeing through they keep my world and my possibilities finite. I am shut off from the infinite possibilities that live outside of my concept and my story, my way of being, my way of doing things, my way of thinking, my way of getting my son to school, my way of, you know, all of it. All of it. And and as soon as, and I was just talking to somebody, uh, one of my um, son's friends, mothers, about, we were talking about food and the body. And even in the body, like I was saying to her, I really feel like I eat a certain way for a specific period of time, even though there's variety and it's healthy, that I still come up against a place where it's no longer working for me. And she got so excited. She was like, oh my God, I'm the same way. And as you know, that's why I'm studying the Ayurvedic principles and taking this masterclass with Divya from Divya's Kitchen. She has a restaurant, her and her husband in in New York. And I'm just so fascinated by the whole thing because she cooks and, and teaches how to cook through these principles. And it's not so much what I eat or is this healthy for me? It's, is this healthy for me today in this moment? And to be awake enough to have the fluidity and to recognize that these patterns exist. I mean, there are threads of them running through all the the mental and physical body, but just to be awake to that, right? To be awake, to go, oh, this way of eating needs to shift and she talks about seasonal eating and and so it's just a fascinating topic but it goes along the lines of these principles it affects every area of our life when you read this this morning 
was there a place you went to with it that was why it resonated so deeply or was it just the recognition of having read it before and and felt how true it was in your body which you mean the Joel Goldsmith reading yeah well when i read it it just it took me to the place Joel always takes me which is the truth of who i am he says the search for truth has always and ever been a search for a way to return to god consciousness it's like that's my story everything i sought everything i looked for in the mental and physical world in the human experience has been to gain this connection to my spirit to who i am and when i read him i'm just like yes 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 and I think that's why he's one of the authors I just love so, so very much because it's like anybody's story, you know, there's so many books and there's so many stories. There's so many teachers. I have to find the ones that resonate with me and he resonates with me. He's one of many that resonates with me. And this is true for me. When I read his writings, this is my experience. And I can never put it into the words that he puts it in. And so when I read it, I'm always like, yes, yes. Um, and I can look back and see from the beginning when I started to read him, I was, let's see, it's 20, I was um, this probably 15 years now ago, I started reading him. And when I found his first book, The Thunder of Silence, the reason I was first drawn to that book was the title. It's like the thunder of silence. How is, what is he talking about? How is that pop? How does, how does thunder have silence? And I just wanted to know, I wanted to know what he was talking about. And I read the book actually, and um, I had so many notes in it, underlines and all of this. And then my, um, I don't know how long after that, but my cousin, um, who was very young, he was in his 20s, he had Crohn's disease. And we found out that he was, he was going to die. And my first instinct was, he's got to read the thunder of silence. And I, I remember I went and I got the book and I overnighted it and I wrote a letter to him. And I sent it. Because I just was like, I want him to know this. I mean, I, I didn't know what his take on. We've never had spiritual. This was like, you know, my first cousin. Don't have spiritual conversations with my family members for the most part. And um, I just, my aunt la la later on told me that they would sit by the fire, you know, and during that time, she she just cared for him in the house and they were together and they would sit by the fire and they would open up the thunder of silence. And my aunt Gail would read parts to him. And I just, that it was like, wow, you know, but you know, I think he was an old soul. I, I, I just, from his energy, I feel like he knew that he is, was in his mental and physical body and that he knew, he just knew, you know, he was going back into the oneness energy that which we all go back into i don't know if that answered your question or why i, I don't went remember there. my question <laughs> it's amazing <laughs>
Yeah. So it's powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful author who really dedicated his life to this teaching of, you know, we're not, we're not our mental and physical bodies. We are more than this. There is one power. And if there's one power, there can't be two. That's a crazy idea right there. That one's taken me years. And I'm like, wait, explain. And I think that's what we just talked about in the whole podcast, right? Human consciousness versus God consciousness. Another another way we could say it, that the 12 steps of recovery say self-reliance or God-reliance. Am I relying on my God-given connection or am I going into what, because what is self-reliance, right? My thoughts. Mind, human. Yeah, it's finite. Mind. Exactly, finite. So what am I relying on? And, you know, you always get those people that go, well, what, what does that mean? I got to make a living. I have to move. I have to use my brain. That, you know, it's not about not using your brain, but most people, their mind uses them. For me, my whole, mo most of my life, my mind used me. My mind was my master. My emotions were my master. And now there's, there's a different, there's a different way of being. So there's a special joy in giving a book that is so meaningful to someone who receives it. And I know that we give gifts, not with expectations for anyone to do anything or appreciate or read it, but it's a special thing to give someone, especially someone so beloved, something that is deeply meaningful and then find out that it became a part of their experience. And it's just incredible. I've given some of the spiritual books that I love so much to other people without any hope that that they get from it what I have. And I have one of my very best girlfriends. She and I both loved Michael Singer a long, long time ago. And I recently uh, gave her his newest book and she's going to drive down to the temple of the universe. She lives in Tennessee and we were talking about it yesterday and she's not um, in my, my primary spiritual practice area of fellowship. She's in another one and she's on her own path. That's incredible. And, um, but she just loves the way that Michael Singer talks about the mind for her, it resonates completely and, and is also a relief. And so yesterday we were catching up and she was telling me how, she, how she was practicing watching the mind <laughs> how recently on a trip. Um, and I, I just love that. So I don't ever want to limit or think I know what someone will appreciate because they're in this part of my life, but not in that part of my life. And, uh, but it's a special thing to be able to share a spiritual book or practice with somebody and then watch, and, and then it bring you into that oneness. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was special. And I remember it because of the, us finding out, you know, that he was going to transition out of his body and we didn't know exactly how long he didn't have that very long. I was like, I don't even have time to order him a copy guy gave him my copy 
like overnighted with all the notes and everything. Cause normally if I would think someone would like a book, I would give them a fresh copy. <laughs> I would give them a copy with all my notes, but there was no time, right? Time was, yeah. essence. it was, imp- I just got this overwhelming sense of, I've got to give him this book. Yeah. So, and like you shared, just listening, and now your friend is going to the temple of the universe to visit Michael. I mean, how beautiful is that? It's just in such a beautiful place. I loved going there and I am going to go back there again as well. It's just, it was just so great to be there and be part of their process and how they practice living in the world of the spirit, especially after reading the surrender experiment which is where Michael depicts all of the land and how he accumulated all of the the temple itself, the building structures that are on the land. And so I had this amazing experience listening to his audible. It's he's he is the narrator of it. So it's like in his him telling his story in his own voice. And then I have all of these ideas of what it looks like and all of this. And he says he's there every morning. And then I go there one morning really early. We're on our way to Disney World. And I'm like, okay, family, I'm getting up three hours before all of you. And I'm going to this place. And I go there. And there he is doing exactly what he said he does. And for me, that right there was it. It was like, oh, yes. It's in the practice. It's in the practice. You know, here's this man who has done all these things. And here he is doing his disciplines at the temple of the universe with the people that were there. I mean, just, just so, just so beautiful. Just so beautiful. I was listening to one of his podcasts this week and he was saying, don't you dare blame your mind. It's not your mind's fault that you made it this way. (laughs) He's like, you decided to store permanently everything that ever happened to you. He said, if you took everything in your kitchen and kept it past the expiration date, waited till all of it was spoiled and rotten and mixed it all together and drank it, what do you think your body would do? Yeah, it would throw it up. Oh, what a great analogy. He's like, that's what your that's why your mind is a place that you can't live. You know, back to the red cars. Yes. That's why like, we don't sit still. No. We're vibrating with avoidance and escape and mm-hmm. that guy driving. And the yeah. world is a terrible, awful place of violence. Right? Yep. Like mm, human consciousness, because that's what I've stored in my mind. Yeah. So one of the things we'll keep talking about on the podcast, not today, but we'll keep talking about ways to practice letting go of what we're tempted to store. Mm. Because it's not, if if I've spent my whole life storing everything negative, then learning to do something different will come back to the law of substitution, right? What does it look like mm-hmm. to practice on a daily basis, substituting something different mm-hmm. when the mind has 
you know, it's like a, a a gumball machine. You put your quarter in and you get your gumball, right? And every one of the gumballs in that machine is a stored negative experience that is ready and waiting for that slot to be open. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be really practical about sharing how to stop drinking spoiled milk and wondering why it makes us sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. We'll definitely have some of that or maybe not. Who knows? Let's see what happens. But as long as we're doing in the last meditation and then not the last meditation in the last podcast, we talked about, you said you didn't sit for your full sit and we really dove into that. So maybe if you're interested in that topic, you can go to the previous podcast. Um, but for now, I think we, we've really covered the human versus God consciousness. It's a good place to end. Let's rest in the God consciousness, the spirit of the universe, the oneness, the I am. And we'll see you next time on the world of the spirit podcast. (sighs) Thanks, Elizabeth. Love you, Kate. Love you. Well, we just want to express our gratitude for being a part of your day or your night or whenever you were able to fit this in and hope you'll join us again. Yes. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you next time on the World of the Spirit podcast.